Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with William Manzanares IV. He's the author of I Can't Read, A Guide to Success Through Failure, published in 2019. William, who grew up unable to read and later learned he had dyslexia, overcame these obstacles and transformed himself into a successful serial entrepreneur. There's lots to learn today. Lots that is so applicable to your everyday classroom and your school buildings. Later in the, uh, in the podcast, you're going to hear William explain how you can get a copy of his book, I Can't Read. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. If not being able to read was a disease, it would be an epidemic. Millions of Americans can't read, but illiteracy often goes unacknowledged or unnoticed. If you're the parent or teacher of a child who struggles with reading, you know the painful way that illiteracy steals their confidence and robs them of the joy that comes from learning. William Manzanares IV, a member of the Polyup tribe in Washington State, wrote, I Can't Read, A Guide to Success Through Failure 2019 to give the literacy conversation a much-needed jumpstart. Will, who grew up unable to read and later learned he had dyslexia, overcame these obstacles and transformed himself into a successful serial entrepreneur. In this inspirational story, William shares strategic superpowers that work for him in the hopes it will improve literacy for those who can't read. The book includes personal anecdotes to inspire kids everywhere, especially young Native Americans, to pursue their dreams. He is a serial entrepreneur, having owned and operated successful businesses since 2005. William is passionate about helping small business owners as well as struggling readers. To that end, he spends much of his time speaking with students about career planning and goal setting. Will, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, Will, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, our talk today. So, well, let's start off by talking a little bit about your heritage. You're an active member of the, the Puyallup tribe in Washington State. Could you share with us a little about who the Puyallups are and what it means to be a member of their tribe? Well, it's Puyallup tribe means the giving people, and that's what we were known for way before I was born. Uh, we are in our historical area, uh, part of the southern coast Salish on the, along the coast in the, um, along the Puget Sound. The, when you think of tribes, our tribe would be the fishing. We were a seafood and hunting and gathering uh, tribe. And it's just, uh, I always thought it was cool that a part of my heritage has always been in this area. So um, born and raised in the Tacoma, Washington area, and that's where my tribe's from or is at. I, when I think of, when people think of tribes, they might think of a stereotypical things they're taught in school, but we're, we're a different tribe. We're on the West Coast and I pause because it's hard to answer that. I guess the best way is there's over 500 federally recognized tribes and each one has a little bit different origin story and uh, heritage. And when we were talking about other tribes, you mentioned uh, before the podcast about other tribes in the area where you're from. And I'm like, ours would be fishing. We used uh, canoes and uh, longhouses. Very cool. Thank you. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, very cool. Are you an active member like of a, of a, um, are you part of the uh, governing body or uh, any of the active, do you, do you work actively within uh, 
Any of the organization of the, the Polyev tribe? When I say active member, I get out in uh, out and about in all our different community functions. And I'm just, I help out the youth a lot. They have a different uh, educational opportunities. So we have a school system and a few other opportunities for education. So I do talks at those for uh, helping the young ones have an idea for where do they want to go with their career and goal setting. Excellent. Excellent. So, so what I'd like to do is let's, let's shift gears and let's start by looking at this comment from the introduction. Cause your, your book is fascinating and its message is very poignant and the audience will understand this right away. It's uh, and so let's look at this. This is, you say, if you are reading this book, chances are you have someone in your life who has some kind of difficulty with reading. The problem is you might not know it. Could you talk about what you meant? You can't look at someone and know if they can read or not. It's only when they start reading out loud, would you know? Um, when I started researching for this book and I realized how big of an epidemic it is, 32 million can't read and they have different numbers even coming out that's even larger now. It just went around saying, well, that was just for that argument alone. That's more than anyone uh, in the state of Washington or even Atlanta. That's more, that's everyone around you can't read from that simple statistic. So you, you may look at someone and think they, they know how to read. Um, example, if you are in the service industry and there's someone asking you for help on the menu or they're not really looking at it. I've seen it happen where they get really rude and repronounce it. Now, you could take it as rude or they repronounce what the menu item is because maybe someone doesn't know what it is. Um, I think that's where I went with you. Can't, you don't know if someone can read or not. You can look at someone and judge them and assume they know what they're doing or they're highly educated. And I really wanted to go with, you don't know unless you see that title. I've seen, if you heard the, if you see the title of the book, I can't read and you get it instantly, then you know what I'm talking about. That's awesome. The, uh, you know, and, and just for listeners, the title of, of his book, it's I Can't Read with Can't stretched out with a line through it. And, you know, and it's uh, one of those things that uh, um, I think that, and you get into this, and we're going to actually, I'm going to ask you some more questions in just a minute. You get into this idea where kids can do a very good job, including you, <laughs> of figuring out how to hide it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's uh, very powerful because especially uh, for my audience to realize that, uh, you know, just because they might be able to interact with you in a conversation doesn't mean they necessarily are reading or understanding what you're having them take a look at, which I think is just comes through loud and clear in your book. The, uh, you know, one of the things that in the first chapter you explain when you discover that you were different from the other kids in your ability or inability to read, you, you reflect on second, third, and then fourth grades, and you make a powerful observation that I'd like to talk about. And it, you noted in, in this section, the problem was he didn't question it further. Could you put this in context for the listeners and then explain what you mean? And you're talking just where I'm going with this. You're talking about the teacher, the fourth grade teacher, um, recognized that there was something going on here. But didn't quite follow through, did he? Well, to give context, I, when I knew there was something wrong was I did all the first grade and then they put me back to second grade. Uh, in second grade, they put me back, that teacher put me back to first grade reading. And when you're around other first graders and you're still struggling, that's when I realized something was wrong. Um, didn't talk about it that much uh, outside of the feelings I remember during that time frame with other people outside of school. So then when I got to third grade, my third grade teacher stopped the class one time and I'll never forget. And she said, he's doing a great job. He skipped second grade reading. You guys had it. He didn't. And she publicly praised me for my stuttering when I would read or if I paused or 
So I would effectively be reading in the third grade like a first grade reader. So I, I could see why she might have saw something that the other kids didn't. And I didn't notice that I was reading different probably until that point. I, I just I knew I had less reading than the rest of them. But that point when she brought it up um, in the fourth grade, when I brought that up, what would happen if you were told you had to read a book for a book report? Well, I chose The Giving Tree in the fourth grade, which if you're a teacher, you would go, wait, what? That's a that's not a fourth grade level reading. When I said he didn't question any further, I was I still thought about it when I wrote that that section was why didn't the teacher not assume I wasn't being lazy? Why didn't he ask questions? Why did you choose that book? And that was my frustration looking back, not at him, but at the the mindset of if someone chose a lower level grade book, you should maybe question it further. If you're a teacher nowadays, ask why. Give them another challenge. Um, that year, I also, my parents went through a divorce and I gained a significant amount of weight in the fourth grade. So I always wondered if he just cut me some slack because of what was going on personally and he might have just thought that was happening. And I don't know if the third grade teacher talked with the fourth grade teacher, but after the fourth grade, it would undetected. That's, and that's rough because the point you're making there is just, it's, it's so poignant because it's just, just like you said, a divorce happened to happen and it's quite possible that, like you said, he's trying to, you know, okay, you got a lot of rough things going on. Maybe this is impacting what you're doing in the classroom, but uh, there were some red flags there. And uh, basically um, if just a little bit more follow through, maybe someone would have caught that you weren't, it had more to do with just skipping second grade reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, uh, you know, this, and I appreciate you sharing that because it, this is going to get up into uh, all kinds of uh, interesting things. But one of the things I want to make sure that I, I talk to you about, because I literally, I think I could do the whole podcast on the beginning of your book because of your behaviors as a child. It's, it's, uh, uh, you know, fascinating what you were doing to cope with what was going on in your world. And um, something that you reveal is how you convinced others that you were reading. You recall, I would pay attention to the pattern the teacher used to call on students to read. I would count the desks and figure out which paragraph I would be responsible for when my time came up. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing and how did it help make the issue worse? And then you got to make sure that you share with them about kids messing up the order. (laughs) Well, the most terrifying thing I ever had to do in school was read publicly. Um, and I will share with your audience today, I still read really bad out loud and it's still humiliating. Uh, but I think with over this book, I can say, Hey, hey take it or leave it. So those moments in school were the ones that I, I were terrified the most so that I would strategically, if we got to pick where we sat, I would never sit on the ends or the corners. Cause that's where the teacher always seemed to point out. So it's strategically placing yourself in the middle. That was a strategy from like, I don't even remember what grade I started doing that. But when you go around and the teacher would say, okay, Molly, you start reading this and then go to John. And she would instruct the class of where you would go with the pattern. I would start counting the desk to figure out where I, where I stand. And I'd count paragraphs because I made a mistake and I'll never forget the mistake. I practiced the wrong paragraph and then I was back to, to, uh-oh, to every other word. And the kids would yell it out out loud of the word. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at a, uh, an ad right now on a box and it says, never stop improving from Lowe's or whatever, but it'd be like, I would say, and they would yell, never stop, stop, stop. So you see how you're like, right. These kids were getting it and they were yelling it out. So how I felt I gained the system throughout 
my schooling was to always count the desk, always do the patterns, always look for big words I don't know, and then figure it out. Uh, usually whispering to people around me what these words were. And in my head, I'd go over and over and over, improving, 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 improving. So I always felt like I wasn't actually, looking back, I wasn't actually reading, but I was practicing how to say that word. So when it got to that, I remember my most uh, whoa moment was uh, I would mess up the order and then I'd, someone else would mess up the order because kids don't pay attention to patterns. So I realized there became this advanced probability and predictions of who's, okay, now if John did this and Mike said that, and if the desk goes to that person, I would start having to figure out every pattern. By that point, I was practicing the first paragraph, the second, the third one, maybe the fourth one, just in case I made a mistake. Um, that was every single read out loud. And then you, you could guess uh, when it got to a point where you realized because of your strategic place of your desk that you won't ever read. It's awesome. Now, did a teacher ever call me out to have to read first? No. I'm glad of that. I made sure I was always in a place where I was never going to get called out. I don't think a teacher's ever. If you are a teacher, don't call someone out in the middle of the room. Maybe always let them pick the patterns. Pick the pattern of the strongest reader and let them go down the rows because there are probably other kids like me nowadays who are still doing the same system that they figured out or they read my book and realized there is a system you could figure out. But was survival. I figured that out all in my head to survive. And the great part about that and sharing that secret was the amount of people who have struggled with reading, who've done the same thing in school. I said, how are we collectively all doing the same thing with ever comparing notes? So that, that was survival in the classroom. That's, you know, it's, you know, you're, like I said before, your coping skills come loud and clear. And I think sometimes we forget that, uh, especially if, you know, it's funny because I, I gotta, I gotta say this. I, I love what you were saying about where you sat. Um, the, uh, you know, sitting on the outside. Because as as a kid, I played uh, a similar sort of game with teachers. That, uh, but my my game had all to do with I just didn't want to be called on, <laughs> and so I would I would sit not on the edges, not at the front, and not at the back because those are the areas typical to be called upon. And I did this all the way through high school. And the more I realized that uh, this would happen, and um, and so I figured out that if I sat in kind of one of those internal rows and looked at the teacher and whether I was taking notes or drawing superheroes, at least I looked like I was taking notes and I, and I focused on you, I tended not to get called on. <laughs> and, right. And, uh, and that's what I wanted. And, and fortunately it came back to haunt me when I needed some extra help in, out, in uh, Calc 2 with some of my algebra skills. <laughs> but, uh, um, but so I understand what you're talking about with uh, that sort of, kind of scheming to see what sort of, you know, how can I not get called on or at least understand when I'm going to get called on. That's, um, it, it's just amazing what you were doing there and it, you're going to learn a lot. And I want to remind everybody that the title of your book is I can't read a guide to success through failure, which is an incredible, uh, it, it says it all right there. So, um, I, I love chapter two, Will it, it's titled, what's your superpower in this section. You talk about, uh, more of your skills in dealing with reading requirements. You comment, those are examples of how I never gave up and kept moving forward, something I still do today. Could you dive into this chapter just a little bit? Well, when you write, what's your superpower? It, it, I really wanted to speak to students. And when I've talked to students uh, after this book's been published, I realized that chapter is where young teenage or preteen boys want to raise their questions and ask technical questions about superheroes and I'm like, I can imagine <laughs> it worked. Um, 
it's about reframing uh, your child. If your child has a struggle or you're a teacher of a child or you're the one struggling, I don't want anyone not to have the struggle. The struggle defines who you are. And if you look at the greatest superheroes in the Marvel universe, they became um, superheroes because of their weakness and something happened that got them to be at the level of being a super, uh, have superpowers. And that is what I intended for that chapter was to talk about the struggle to define who you will be when you overcome it or you find a workaround and you get to that level of success, whatever that be in your career or life. That's, that's excellent. I mean, you, you get into all this and by the way, I got to say, um, or, you know, big kids like me, by the way, are attracted to that chapter because of, you know, I, I still like my superheroes and it's, and it's right of the money. Cause it's, it, this is how you dealt with it. And this in turn taught you, um, you know, you learned a lot from dealing with these issues this way. And that's kind of what you share with kids, isn't it? Is talking to them about how to, um, to work through this, to be, to overcome whatever that weakness is. Let me, how I would say overcoming, and you said right there, the weakness, I would say it's overcoming your mindset. Ah, okay. Uh, I spoke to a, a child, uh, asked me about his cerebral palsy and will it ever get better? And I went on this unscripted rant to him talking about, yes, when you get to the mindset of not caring what those judgmental other people are saying about you, because in the end, you'll figure out that they have some weakness that they can't talk about publicly. And they're going after you because you have a, a physical one that they can see and you will, it will overcome. And I think just speaking to a child like that will get them to point to belief that it will be better. And that will then get them to make it better. And I think to me, that's a superpower. And I've always said my workarounds are my greatest superpower. I don't know if I developed the, the strategic planning of what the future holds from counting desk and making accurate predictions or inaccurate predictions, or if it was just that I tried so much that I do that. And that's, seeing around corners and what I talked about in my book was that was my superpower. And then learning so much about dyslexia through the research of this book, I realized all those little tricks are real cool superpowers. That's why this chapter was very important to me. That's excellent. The, uh, you know, and it's, and it comes out loud and strong. I mean, this is this, this, this chapter, I read it a couple of times because it, uh, you, you see how that impact um, of those powers, what it would have on you in today's world as an adult, because you know, you, you've been becoming a successful, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but you've become a successful entrepreneur. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of pushback and, you know, mm -hmm. possibility of not wanting to go on that has to um, appear oftentimes that you have to overcome, I would imagine. So what, what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, we can't leave this chapter without talking about the muffin test. So could you explain the muffin test? So oftentimes in survival, of trying to figure things out in my business world. If I didn't understand a, a topic, I'd say, I don't know how to bake very well. I can't bake a cake, but I know how it's supposed to taste. So if this doesn't taste right, look right, we're going to have a problem. I've actually used that to get out of a few uh, arrangements with contractors that claim they could do a job. Um, uh, you know, I probably, you know, give a chance that someone who shows up and gives you a bid when, you know, things are booming, people, everyone's working, so it's hard to find someone. So I developed that. Well, along the way, the business aspect of me started thinking about a muffin. And would you let your kid have cake for breakfast? I mean, technically speaking, I've joked around a lot with kids or parents and said, well, 
no, you can't have cake for breakfast. Go eat some of those sugary cereals. And there you go. <laughs> right. And I thought about it. And through the years with, if you look at what is a muffin, it's just a cake by a different name. It's no frosting on the cake. And it's, that's the point is you can say, if you won't let your kid have cake for breakfast and your kids, they can have a muffin and you say, yeah, what? That was my, now the parents who don't let their kids have cake for breakfast for whatever reason, society says a marketer came along an advertising group and said, how do we sell more cakes? Let's reframe the name, change it to something else, call it a muffin and we'll sell more cakes in the morning time frame and capture that market share. And that entrepreneurial side made me just think about, we got to talk about it. The other part of the muffin test is I use that example to know if someone has actually read my book, because if I just say cake for breakfast and they have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> kids should pay attention to that chapter. And that's another test. If you're a parent and you think your kid doesn't uh, uh, have some reading struggle, give them my book. And if they don't try this whole muffin thing on you, if you're really strict as a parent, then I don't think they grasp the book enough to really understand that one little section in that chapter and that was the point of that whole thing is to get kids to think about their learning disabilities in a different way and also finding ways to get around uh no cake for breakfast i like that i could i could see the argument uh with uh you know saying uh you know you do understand that a muffin is made out of the same ingredients and if we actually add chocolate chips to it or add a few other you know fancy little sugary things it actually is cake <laughs> so that's right you know and uh um and so I, I love that because that's uh, uh, what a great uh, what a, a great explanation and a great focus in there. And I like that idea about uh, um, you trying to see whether they've really read your read the book or not when you're working with kids, because that would be something that would definitely get a kid's attention. <laughs> it's the idea. On a on a side note, is my thank you party for my friends. We served blueberry muffins with frosting, and <laughs> I got to figure out who read the book prior to the party because one of my buddies was like, "I totally love that." <laughs> nice. Excellent. And if someone didn't understand why there was frosted blueberry muffins and they didn't get it. No, that's funny. It's okay. You, you, and you stand over there. You didn't read yeah. the book. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, in, uh, in your book, you say, I now use my truth as a tool to navigate conversations as a leader, because I can say with confidence, here is my struggle. Here's what I have accomplished. You have no excuses. What are you talking about? I, I have a pet peeve with excuses. I think a lot of times we are created, and maybe in the school system work, I don't know, but I'm, I'm open my own businesses. So if you have a boss and all you do is give excuses why you didn't get part of the job done, it just blows my mind. Like in my companies, I don't like excuses. So when I went around and I've even consulted for some other companies, if someone came to me and tried to say, well, I don't really want to learn anymore or read anymore, we would have a conversation about that. There's no excuses. So many uh, workarounds now. So your reading struggle isn't, a, isn't an issue anymore with today's technology. And I, I'm, and we're getting ready to get into that, that section because you actually have a chapter on uh, the whole idea of the technology. And have, um, you know, one of the things that you talk about, let's just go there. I mean, in chapter five, you say technology is a key. And you say, if we don't embrace the changes of our current time, we'll be left behind. And before I get into what you mean by that, I want to make sure that I, I, I connect with this because you, you hire people, right? You hire young people? Yes. And one of the things that you want uh, um, 
them to do is be able to, uh, I mean, this is part of where this discussion comes up, isn't it? With the idea of uh, no excuses about why you can't do or such. Yes. So w- when we, when we talk about that, um, it, can you kind of explain a little bit about what you're trying to, you know, the, I mean, the, the real message here is that, uh, I mean, just like you said, there's no excuses, but a lot of times the, the young person is trying to say, you know, Oh, I can't do this because right. Well, let's give the best example that, um, I, I make everyone read a book to get a job with my companies. And I love this. Any, the, the customer rules by Lee Cockrell. And he, he served as a VP of Walt Disney World. And if you read his books, he started off in the service industry. He dropped out of college so he doesn't have a quote unquote formal education outside of work experience and treating customers well. And I thought that could speak to a lot of employees who don't want to go on to higher education. Um, and I also could speak to those who want to go on, but to, I was always going for the can'ts and the people who say can a lot. So I want to strike that out and requiring them to read a book to even get a job with me became the standard at my companies. So because of that, that's another one of the excuses. If you can't read the book then, or you don't want to read the book, cause I'm not going to say it's a can't, then we're not going to hire you. And the technology aspect would be with audible or Grammarly or any of the, 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 YouTube, any of the technology out there that I've used and I found that others have used to use uh, as a workaround for their in- inability to comprehend or read at the level that they think they should be at is key why I talk about technology. I think if you're a teacher, well, no, and I think if you are a teacher right now and you're not uh, embracing it. Now, I know parents have different beliefs on <laughs> phones and I've done talks where I I go instantly into there's this magical little device to find your answer. Like that bothers me when I ask a question with a prize and they're like, I don't know how to find the answer. (laughs) Now I think as a teacher, you'd say, well, then the kids who have phones can do it. And the kids who can't, well, there are methods, I don't know, called books, have them pick up a book and start researching a question and ask a question that someone can Google or someone can, uh, look in a book right, right there for the answer. I'm a big thing. I'm a big advocate for prizes, meaning candy bars or something in the classroom. Like, hey, who who knows this randomly? Because when you struggle, my when you struggle in school, the most exciting, exhilarating times I remember is if I got the answer right and got a candy bar in high school or something because the teacher offered a question. This is before Google. This is why I always go, man. You have a little device that can do anything, even be a calculator everywhere, because we were told calculators weren't going to be with you everywhere when we were older. Right. And <laughs> that's what that. I'm talking about. Right? That's, yeah. I came from that. And we had library, library catalogs when I was a kid. So, like, <laughs> can you imagine? I don't even know how to describe that to young people. But you have this magical little device to me that now allows me to dictate, allows me to spell, allows me never mess up on a word again, and allows me to play back a word before I say it out loud. And that's why I, I, I am an advocate for phones for people like me. I know it may cause feelings of inadequacy for some who can't afford them. However, it changed my life. So I'm going to be, that's the future, the more and more and more. And that's what I meant was you can stop it and say no because of fairness, or you could say, well, let's teach the kids who don't have phones yet what it's like to research harder in books. And then one day when they can afford a phone, they'll be like, wow, this is so much easier. 
that's that's awesome that's powerful i mean it's like you know and that's as a note i do have to say i can remember someone telling me you know when the kids were complaining about not being able to use a calculator you won't have a calculator with you wherever you go uh, yeah okay let's let's <laughs> boy was that wrong and a lot uh, of teachers said that during our when we were in school so think about that that's why i meant about bracing technology you don't want to say an absolute and have a whole generation of teachers right now saying an absolute that one day will be debunked <laughs> that's, that's the thing for engineers uh, who did that on those phones were like, probably were mad about the teacher who said, you can't use your calculator. Like we're going to put it on every device. <laughs> I think you're, easier. I think you're right. That's probably exactly what drove that. That's why we have it there. The, uh, it's gotta be, it's gotta be. I like that. That's uh, because it, you know, you're right. Explaining to everyone what a card catalog is, you know, cause you definitely have something that's a lot easier to use than the card catalog <laughs> and a lot less uh, and a lot more mobile. <laughs> that's for sure. So Nice. The, uh, in, in talking about that, embracing the changes of our current time or we'll be left behind, I think, you know, we see that in just about everything because it's easy to kind of fight against it. But at the same time, I think you're right. What, you know, we don't know what's coming next. <laughs> where, where could this end up leading? I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it's something else. So I love that. Um, and you're, you're so right. There's so much technology out there that could be, could have been so beneficial to you when you were in that second grade class that uh, yes. would have been helpful. So let's, uh, you know, let, let's talk about chapter six for a second. It's titled, Turn a Negative into a Positive. And you say, I firmly believe that if you really want it, you can get it. Can you go run with that? I kind of just said it right there. If you want it, you can get it, whatever you want. I know I've heard other uh, teaching professionals tell young people who say they want to be in the NFL or NBA, they'll go, well, blah, 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 blah. Why don't you just throw a positive out to them? Say, okay, great, you get there. Or let's take the NFL because it's football season. If it maybe two thousand players are in the whole system, so the odds of you making to the NFL are pretty pretty slim. But instead of saying it to a, a, a student like that, you could embrace it and say, "Great, you're going to make it to the NFL. What are you going to do after? What's your long term game plan after you, you your body can't handle that anymore?" Have you researched that? Why don't you start do a paper on that for me? Just tell me what uh, the ratio of broke NFL players versus uh, once you made it big. And that's how I'd want a teacher to talk to a student about their dreams because there, there is backlash room. Like you could tell people you could be anything. Well, you can, but you have to put in the work. And if someone puts in all the work to be the, the star athlete, did anyone give them financial advice along the way? Probably because we're trying to tell them, nah, the odds are you're not going to be that. Well, the odds were that a guy who couldn't read wasn't going to be able to be an entrepreneur and come back and be strong and have a lot of employees work for him and then make people read books, even though he hated books in school. The odds of that, I don't even want to calculate, but that's me. And I don't want to discourage anyone from going after their dreams. Uh, if you have a dream of doing something, go out and do it. And once, And if you find out that after a while of doing it, you don't like it, then good, you tried it at least, right? It's uh, checked off your list. But I, I'm really, really wanting to reframe what teachers say to students because I, they should be thinking what's beyond, not that they maybe can't make it to the NFL or NBA. And I think the financial aspect of what are you going to do with what's your exit strategy? That, that's where I would go with you can be anything is cool. You can be anything, then what do you do after that? And the decade after that and the decade after that. That's, that's so incredible what you're talking about, because it's just like, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, 
ideas out there that, uh, and well-meaning adults, they usually are just trying to not, uh, <laughs> trying to see if they can let, you know, if you can get let down easy as opposed to, uh, or, you know, they, they ask you questions like, really, you know, <laughs> that's what you, that's what you want to do? Or, you know, or do you think you can do that? Or my favorite one was I wanted to be a comic book artist. I was focused on drawing. I had my superheroes. I was a big Spider-Man and Batman fan. And, and I would uh, read those comics and, uh, and uh, uh, lots of others and Fantastic Four thing. And I love it when the thing and Spider-Man went against each other, all that kind of good stuff. But it's like, and so I had my own comics that I was drawing and I was all focused on wanting to be a superhero uh, artist one day. And uh, I'll never forget somebody who was near and dear to me said to me, you can't make much money doing that, can you? <laughs> that was <laughs> that stuck in my head. I will never forget that conversation that day. Um, the, uh, you know, and it's well-meaning adults say things and, and uh, the classroom teacher, the building administrator, the parent, you know, it's it, the aunt or uncle, whoever it is that, you know, they meant well when they said that, don't you really think you want to get a good job, like being an accountant, you know? <laughs> okay. That's not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, stuff like that. I think really th this chapter really hits home because that turn a negative into a positive is uh, um, I, I, I love your message there. Just love it. You know, one of the things that I, I want to make sure that I, I mention here is that you, you talk about the importance of reading with a purpose. Can you just share a little bit about what you mean by that? What problem are you trying to solve? Um, what's going on in your life? Could it be someone broke up with you? Could it be that you broke up with someone else and you're trying to figure it out? The death of a loved one? Someone wrote about it. I was given that advice in my life. And no matter what problem you're facing, someone wrote it. Well, they didn't actually give it to me like that, but I'm defining it as what problem are you facing? Someone wrote about it. Someone has persevered. Someone had the resilience to get through it and then write about it to give advice. So if you're dealing with any problem, find the purpose for what you need to solve. Mine was business. When I look back, I was reading the business briefs on the Sunday paper every week. And I remember asking my dad the big words. So, of course, from my dad's perspective, how would he even know if I was struggling if I was asking big words? Right. And what are these business words? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? I read anything to do about business or watch biographies when we had the biography channel when we were younger on titans of industry. That was my purpose. I was told I was good at business through the many things I did as a child but I was told that you're good, you're good, you're good. And I kept focusing on that. So I guess I've talked to parents who said, Mo, my, I wish my kids wouldn't read. You talk about comics. I wish my kids wouldn't read only comics. Was, well, then I'd say, well, why don't you have them read the biography on Stan Lee or anyone who started, read the biography about people in the industry and have them read with a purpose that way. It's just my whole point of a purpose is find a purpose. Which, what is the reason you're reading? and go for it. If it's not entertaining to your student or you as a, a student, then find something that does entertain you and put, put knowledge in your head. You'll never know when you're gonna need it and it might recall to you one day when you least expect it when you're in a survival situation. I love it. Uh, it's great stuff. I, you know, Will, one of the, the things that, uh, and we're, we're hitting all around it right here right now is that uh, you you take once you find out that you have, uh, um, um, you're dealing with dyslexia and you're, you know, you understand what your troubles were in dealing with reading and so forth, you, you know, you get focused on overcoming it. And that's part of in the book where he gets into the whole part about you, you say, don't give me excuses because I've got this. And 
there's, this is where I had to make some choices in my questions because I, 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 I literally, there's so many things that I could have spent quite a bit of time on. And I, I just kudos to you for um, focusing on not giving in and not giving up and making excuses. And second, for wanting to teach that. And I, I just, I just want to make sure that, I mean, you deliver that message, whether it's through people that you employ or taking time in the tribe or, or even in an outside the world, because you do, um, you do presentations and talk and talks and such to uh, kids and adults I'm, as well. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's that camp mentality. It's, I have to add to that. It's, I heard this a lot as a kid, the rich get richer. And I wanted to know how they got rich. So that's where I started studying the people who started their businesses. And I had a commonality, businesses, business, 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 start a business. That's how you do it. They tell you, this is how you're going to get a job. I'm like, Oh crap. I'm going to struggle having to type things out. And this is, my whole childhood, you talk about the desk, it was, I'm gonna have to own my own business. I'm gonna have to do my own thing. I'm gonna have to do my own thing. I'm gonna have to do my own thing. I'm gonna own a business. I'm gonna own a business. I'm gonna be a business owner. I'm good at this. It was telling myself what I was good at defined me to research it and find no excuses to become that. And that's the big thing about no excuses. Yeah, I, I, I can make an excuse even to this day, but I have to step back and go, well, either I'm gonna do it or not. I don't need to make excuses. I'm not getting on a roller coaster ever again in my life. I'm a little older. I'm like, nope, never going to do it. Don't even need to make excuses. That's kind of the example. But when you're younger, you, making excuses. Yeah, I just had to put that in there. That's good. I appreciate you sharing. The, uh, you know, and let's go ahead and shift from the book um, to your world of entrepreneurship. You've become very successful in business. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking of creating or starting their own business? Get a job in the area that you want to own or you want to be in business. Work for them. Work for them and figure out if it's something you really want to do. I find that a lot of people want to own a business and they talk about it, but they don't even know what that means. They have this idea that it's going to be easier, that they're going to be able to sit around at a desk and bark out orders and that's how they're going to own a business. So if you want to be in business and you have a dream or an idea of that type of business, go and work it. Work for someone else. Learn what they do well and what they don't do well. And then if they're really receptive people who will take your new ideas of doing things, then cool, just keep learning from it. See if it becomes profitable on someone else's dime. If they're pushing back, that's when you can start thinking, can I make a living off of this idea because I've seen what everyone else can do with it and I'm, I think I'm ready to open my own up. I always suggest work it before you go just jump into it. A lot of people just jump into it because they're told it will be profitable rather than trying it out before they do it. That's it's it's so you know just right there with what uh, I mean what you see I, I I love what you're talking about because you're right I mean there's too often people are looking for easy way outs and like you said some of them are thinking oh I'll, I become the boss then I just tell people what people want to do and uh, their business fails eventually you know it's it's like uh, we we see this a lot in different types of uh, uh, restaurants and things they don't realize how much time and effort they have to put into it and. Uh, and now you've run different types of stores and shops and uh, where you hire other people. And I, I can imagine that, uh, I mean, can you talk a little bit about the time and effort that it takes to hire and coordinate with other people and so they kind of believe in it the way you do? Uh, the sum that one, hire, coordinate, it, well, if I want to talk about business advice, you're never going to find a magical employee that's going to do everything for you. Because if you do, they're going to want to compete with you. 
um, the best and the brightest or we could become your competition. I've always just taken higher people who are better at something than me and not have any shame that they're better at it than me. I think that was from my own inability to do what we talked about this whole interview. So I hire people who are outstandingly better at something than me or more detailed than I could ever be. And I give them all the praise and I promote them to doing that job. And I don't question them when they want to do their method. If they see a different way of doing it, and if I can come up with my outside the box ideas all the time, I'll do that. But um, never micromanage the detail oriented people because they're more detail oriented than me. Excellent. Excellent advice there. That's, that's very cool. Before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, Will, where would you send them? And could you also make sure you talk a little bit about willtalksbiz.com? I created willtalksbiz.com because William Manzanares is really hard to spell. And I had to do that since I was in preschool. So um, it was one of the, oh, actually it was Poncho back then, but William, or Manzanares is hard to spell. So I did willtalksbiz.com as my own personal brand, uh, my long-term goal of just keeping that business. Even if I sell or open other ones, I'll always have a Will Talks Biz. Excellent. Uh, I also created the I can't read the book.com and we made that website really user-friendly for someone who struggles with reading the least amount of information you can find, which will get you redirected to getting the book and other sources. And when I say least amount, I mean, rephrase that least amount of just rambling it just straight, straight to the point with videos and clickable links. Nice. Nice. You have a, um, Nice YouTube channel. You're, you're all over social media and I'll, and I'll put all these links to your websites and to your social media accounts in the, in my show notes for, for people to uh, come back and find you. But uh, is there a specific place you'd like them to, uh, to go to, to, to reach out to you if they wanted to? Well, whatever platform you're in, go to Will Talks Biz. I put it out there as a Will Talks Biz. It's available. So I, uh, we did that. Um, if you want to just reach me, just go to that web, the website or you can message me and yeah, any questions you have. I've had great responses from parents and teachers about this book so far. So I'd like to hear uh, other stories. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. Excellent. The, uh, you know, so once again, I'll have that in my show notes where people can link to it. And uh, the, the website's willtalksbiz.com, biz spelled with a Z, B-I-Z. So very nice. The uh, um, last two questions. If you had a chance to talk with an audience of 100 brand new teachers, what advice would you share with them about working with kids? I would say when you have your bad days, remember why you got into this. Remember it's for them. You may not see the results of what you're doing, but they will impact the next generation. Remember every choice you make as a teacher impacts the next generation for a negative or positive and you are their biggest influence and their most stable thing in unstable lives at home. Remember that when you have a bad day and there are students who may never get a chance to thank you, but they will live on and become something great because of you. Excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you. The last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life or uh, if so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? That's a great question. Um, I talked about my third grade teacher. Her name was Miss Boston. I didn't talk about it in the book. Uh, she has passed on and that was where I would say thank you. And then later in school, uh, 
when I went to college, there was some great teachers who now I've realized they've all passed on. And that's why I was saying that advice in the second, the first question to that is, man, the impact you can have on people can take years for someone to even realize. Um, I just want to, I want to say, I'm glad they got into teaching. I'm glad that they had that passion for the next generation. And I'm glad they gave the advice they gave when I felt less than in their classroom. Good stuff. I appreciate it, Will. Well, Will, thank you so much for talking with me today. I've enjoyed it. I Can't Read, A Guide to Success Through Failure is a powerful book. It offers extremely useful advice and suggestions to all. And uh, I'll have the links to where people can get a copy of it, as well as they can go to your, your websites, uh, um, willtalksbiz.com and icantread.com, and, uh, and uh, find links there to getting, uh, getting a copy of the book. Wishing the best in all that you do. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.